mystery. In our history. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mystery in Our History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related and how they came to be. I'm J.R. Supa. That's Chris Berry, a.k.a. Nope. Chris B-O-M-G, on the Twitch and yeah. the Instagrams. I'm there sometimes. Um, and uh, here we go. All right, Chris, the time has finally come, A, to do another conspiracy theory because we took a, a bit of a break from conspiracy theories yep, for a while. a little bit. Um, but this conspiracy theory is a doozy because after a very long wait by you, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we mm-hmm. are finally tackling the JFK assassination. Yeah, and uh, I know this conspiracy has a lot to it, and I bet it had your head spinning while you were researching. It um, is a lot of information. Yes. Um, and so we're, we're, I'm going to, we're trying to put this as concise as possible with, while still trying to provide as much information as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that I put it, I, we're presenting it in a way that makes sense, um, from a flow standpoint, because there is so much to this. Oh, it's all over the place. The conspiracy is yeah, all over the I mean, place. it's it's crazy, and you'll see what I'm talking about by crazy when we get into what we're getting into. But so I think what we'll first do is we're going to start with the actual day. Yeah, the history. Correct. As you as you said, as like I love to do. I, I mean, <laughs> I I'm I am Mister History. Mister History. That's um, true. So November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. The following are going to be the facts, quote-unquote facts, that are taken from the jfklibrary.org website. So keep that in mind because I'm not paraphrasing. I'm just copy-pasting. So relax in the comments. <laughs> At least for this part, <laughs> you're free to be upset by everything else we're going to say, but I'm not saying this. This is just what's on the website. Relax in the comments. I love that. <laughs> you can comment on other stuff, but if you want to yep. comment on this, t- attack jfklibrary.org, not me. Do not come at me. Correct. All right. So shortly after noon. On November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated as he rode in a motorcade through Dealey Plaza in downtown Dallas, Texas. After the president's plane landed in Dallas, the the procession left the airport and traveled along a 10-mile route that wound through downtown Dallas on the way to the trademark where the president was scheduled to speak at a luncheon. Since it was no longer raining, the plastic bubble top had been let off. The vice president and Mrs. Johnson occupied another car in the motorcade. Crowds of excited people lined the streets and waved to the Kennedys. The car turned off Main Street at Dealey Plaza around 2.30 p.m. As it was passing the Texas School Book Depository, gunfire suddenly reverberated in the plaza. Bullets, that is plural, bullets, 
struck the president's neck and head, and he slumped over towards Mrs. Kennedy. The governor of Texas was shot in the back. And I highlight bullets because for a very long time it was widely believed that it was one shot that was fired or one bullet that killed the president. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that, already been debunked. Right, and th- there was this magic bullet theory. Right, the ricochet theory. Yeah, so that's debunked, but it, this is coming from the website. There are multiple bullets. They're saying multiple bullets. Right. All right. Um, the car sped off to Parkland Memorial Hospital just a few minutes away, but little could be done for the president. A Catholic priest was summoned to administer the last rites, and at 1 p.m., John F. Kennedy was pronounced dead. Though seriously wounded, Governor Connolly would recover. The president's body was brought to Love Field and placed on Air Force One. Before the plane took off, a grim-faced Lyndon B. Johnson stood in the tight, crowded compartment and took the oath of office, administered by U.S. District Court Judge Sarah Hughes. A brief ceremony took place at 2.38 p.m. I would have loved to, like, be a fly on the wall of the ceremony. Right. Uh, the, uh, and the, the photos, I'm sure you've seen the photos. It's yeah. pretty historic of the, um, the tight corridor. Mm-hmm. It's like the swearing hallway. In. Yeah. Yep. It's literally yep. a hallway on Air Force One where he's just got yep. his hand in the air going, yes, I'll be president. And yep. But, like, I, I want to know, was there cake at the ceremony, do you think? <laughs> I didn't see any cake, but that, I'm not going to rule it out. I ain't going to rule it out. Um, less than an hour earlier, police had arrested Lee Harvey Oswald, a recently hired employee at the Texas Book Depository. He was being held for the assassination of President Kennedy and the fatal shooting. Shortly afterward, um, a patrolman, J.D. Tippett, on a Dallas street. So not only is he accused of killing the president, but he's also accused of killing a police officer right after. Yeah. Yeah, he shot a police officer who questioned him right after. Yep. Uh, on Sunday morning, November 24th, Oswald was scheduled to be transferred from police headquarters to the county jail. Viewers across America watched the live television coverage, suddenly saw a man aim a pistol and fire at point-blank range. The assailant was identified as Jack Ruby, a local nightclub owner. Oswald died two hours later in Parkland Hospital. Yeah, and that's it. That's the official story. Uh, so that, that gives like a pretty good idea of like the events that happened that day. Um, so that way you kind of have like a, a, a timeline and what happened shortly after the assassination as well. Now, um, before we move on again, like Chris said, that's, that's the gist, mm-hmm. but there is so much more to this. Bumps and hiccups in there. Uh, exactly. So let's continue, and we'll, we will uh, first discuss the man behind the assassination, according to the official story. Yeah, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot uh, about him that I didn't know. Actually, yeah. uh, looking into this. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting too. Like I I was I was surprised by some of the stuff. Um, So let's jump into Lee Harvey Oswald. So Lee Harvey Oswald was born October 18th, 1939, died November 24th, 1963, as we just said. Um, Oswald was an American Marxist and former U.S. Marine who assassinated John F. Kennedy on November 22nd. Oswald was honorably released from active duty. 
uh, in the Marine Corps into the reserve and defected to the Soviet Union in 1959. He lived in Minsk until June 1962 when he returned to the United States with his Russian wife, Marina. And eventually they settled in Dallas, Texas. Five government investigations concluded that Oswald shot and killed Kennedy from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository as the president traveled by motorcade through Dealey Plaza in Dallas. So before before doing uh, any looking into Lee Harvey Oswald, I actually didn't know that he was an employee of the Texas Book uh, School Book Depository. Uh, yeah. So that's actually a whole new angle for me of him, uh, like claiming to be a patsy for the whole thing. But also, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> well, um, he was a but, recent employee too. Right. Like he right. got that job as part of his plan. Right. Exactly. Now, about 45 minutes after assassinating Kennedy, Oswald shot and killed Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett on a local street. He then slipped into a movie theater where he was arrested for Tippett's murder. Oswald was eventually charged with the assassination of Kennedy. He denied the accusation, stating that he was a patsy. And two days later, he was fatally shot by local nightclub owner Jack Ruby on live television in the basement of Dallas police headquarters. Yeah, that's so crazy. And the fact that people didn't think right away, like, oh, my God, this guy got killed being transferred from prison to prison wasn't crazy or a cover up in itself. Right. Um, <laughs> is beyond wild to me. Because, I mean, right. You want to cover up the crime, kill the guy who's going to talk. Right. Yeah. But nobody thought anything of it at the time. They were just like, oh, man, another crazy guy shot Oswald. What's yeah. the world coming to? Hashtag Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Well, you yeah, exactly. talk. You make sure he did. However, so devil's advocate for that, Chris, I think Mm -hmm. the argument can be made that uh, JFK was such a beloved president that someone wanting to kill his killer was not out of the realm of possibility. Right, right. I I agree with that. Uh, And actually, I think that at the time when this was all unraveling, I think that's kind of was what the public opinion, right? Yeah. Was that this guy... But I also think that goes to what you were saying, because what better plan, you know what I mean? Like what better way to execute that plan and, and keep him from talking? Because now, you know, like this guy killed the most beloved president. And so, of course, people are going to want him dead. So let's just kill him. Right. Right. Exactly. No, I agree. It's uh, it's very smart. If there's a cover up here, it's the smartest way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think. All right, so in September of 1964, the Warren Commission, which we will get into in more detail later, concluded that Oswald acted alone when he assassinated Kennedy by firing three shots from the Texas School Book Depository. This conclusion, though controversial, was supported by previous investigations from the FBI, the Secret Service, and the Dallas Police Department. Despite forensic, ballistic, and eyewitness evidence supporting the official findings, public opinion Polls have shown that most Americans do not believe the official version of events. Yeah, yeah, I I believe that, and uh, I guess I would be one of them, because like many official versions of events, of of big things that happen uh, in our history, Mm -hmm. uh, like this one, there are so many holes in the story, and when you bring them up, everyone just goes, well, don't look at it, and don't ask questions, because you're crazy, you already have the official version, 
why are you not believing what we just told you? Right. Um, and, and honestly, for me, that's just not good enough. Yeah. Uh, it's just not good enough to say, hey, don't look at it. You know, if you have questions, if people want answers. Um, so honestly, it's not that shocking to me that people don't believe the official story. Dude, makes honestly. perfect sense. Um, and with that, let's transition into a bit of the mystery, if you will. Yes. So let's let's talk about the conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. Many conspiracy theories posit that the assassination involved people or organizations in addition to Lee Harvey Oswald. No one's disputing that Oswald was involved, but the, the conspiracy right. is, is that it, he did not act alone. Most current theories put forth a criminal conspiracy involving parties as varied as the FBI, the CIA, the United States military, the mafia, Vice President Johnson... Cuban President Fidel Castro, the KGB, or some combination of those entities. Which is crazy to me because I actually didn't know that there was that many aspects to the theory going into it mm-hmm. uh, this week. I knew about a few, but the, you I mean, you, you just rattled off seven different angles, yeah. and that is insane. And that's the crazy uh, thing. They, and right. and, and like, as we're going to see, they all have – reasons to want him dead they all have motive yeah absolutely and and not only do they all have motive but they're also hush hush shush shush about everything you know what i mean don't look into it too much because that's not it look at the official story you know so yes uh but we're gonna look into it because that's what we do here so let's start why the fbi two days after the assassination of lee harvey oswald by jack ruby the FBI, Director J. Edgar Hoover, issued a strong plea to the Justice Department that there be no independent investigation into the death of President John F. Kennedy. Already backing up what I'm just saying, and it's already <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> well, Hoover knew that if the FBI and the CIA had done their job, Kennedy would never have been shot. Hoover succeeded in claiming national security concerns were at stake, and he never told the true story, even under oath to the Warren Report. Damn, man. Uh, Hoover sounds like a pretty shady guy. That's that's a pretty scummy way to go. I mean, he also liked to cross-dress in his spare time, so, you know, not that there's anything wrong with cross-dressing, but, you know, be open about it. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not open about that, not open about the, the assassination, so... He's a liar. Yeah. Well, Oswald had been under very direct and aggressive surveillance in the months before the assassination... And both the FBI and CIA knew all about his ties to Cuba and Russia. They had been watching him since 1959. So for four years, they'd been watching him. Damn. Now, if you were asked to name the top three enemies of JFK in 1963, they would have been Cuba, where JFK was trying to kill Castro. We'll get to that. Russia, which had just, com- uh, which had just climbed down from the potential nuclear war. We'll get to that. And Oswald, filled with hate for Kennedy and recorded on a wiretap by the FBI threatening to kill JFK. Well, yeah, of course, right? I mean, you got to make sure the evidence piles up against the patsy, right? You got you to have your receipt. <laughs> <laughs> well, FBI cover-up began right away with the agents ordered to destroy a note that Oswald himself had delivered to the FBI office in Dallas – Threatening violence if they did not cease their surveillance on him. Threatening violence if they did not 
cease their surveillance of him. I will splice those two sentences together and make one coherent sentence. (laughs) (laughs) He was such an obvious target for surveillance that the cover-up goes on today with the Trump administration pulling most of the evidence at the last moment for, quote-unquote, national security reasons. Again, this this right here is, is why people don't trust the governments, right? This was supposed to all be declassified by now. Yep. Uh, we're supposed to get the full story, what, in 2018, I believe mm-hmm. it was? Um, and, you know, just saying, hey, national security risks and sleep it on the rug is just not good enough yeah. anymore. It's been... Uh, people want answers. It's been 50 we years. We want to know what happened. Well, right. We, we want to know what happened. Well, listen, if it came out that the, that the Russians came out and actually killed Kennedy, do you think it's really going to spark a war today? We're going to no. go, oh, shit. It wasn't even the, the same fuck? Russian leader. Who, who, like, what are you going to do? Right. right, exactly. That's what, that's what my like, point is. It's just like, I don't know about that. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I don't like it. Well, so based on this, it appears that the FBI had plenty of evidence and opportunity to stop Oswald from pulling the trigger. So why didn't they? Yeah, they they wanted him dead is the only thing I can think. Exactly. Well, so let's move on to the next theory. Why the CIA? Mm -hmm. Conspiracy theorists have ascribed various motives for CIA involvement in the assassination of President Kennedy, including Kennedy's firing of CIA Director Alan Dulles, his refusal to provide air support to the Bay of Pigs invasion, his plan to cut the agency's budget by 20%, and the belief that the president was weak on communism. So let's dive deeper and see what was out there. Yeah, it does do, It does go deep. And I already know you did way more research on this than I did at any point in my life. Uh, I just know, like, fragments of this part. Um, you you really did a good job on this part, so I'm excited to go. The, the CIA one is the one that has the most information out there. Yes. Like, there is a lot to the CIA. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think they're the one agency, out of all the American agencies, I think is the least liked. Oh, because um, they don't really have me, a boss. Right, and to me, they're just American terrorists, right? They kind of make us look bad everywhere else because they just kind of go everywhere and terrorize everyone. Well, I mean, but at the same time, Christian Bale and Batman were what Gotham needed. They played the villain. (laughs) That's, hey, you know, sometimes (laughs) you got to play the villain. We're what Gotham needs. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I don't wear hockey masks. Why you want to kill no, me? <laughs> anyway, in 1966, New Orleans District, District Attorney Jim Garrison began an investigation into the assassination of President Kennedy. Garrison's investigation led him to conclude that a group of right-wing extremists were involved with elements of the CIA in a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. Garrison also came to believe that businessman... Clay Shaw, head of the International Trademark in New Orleans, was part of the conspiracy. And on March 1st, 1967, Garrison arrested and charged Shaw with conspiring to assassinate President Kennedy. I think it's interesting that he decided to do that four years after the assassination. Yeah. Like, it took that long to get to that point. Well, because, I mean, you had all the other commissions that were involved, right? You had the Warren Commission and, and, and every 
other because what was it five? I think I said five different committees that were involved um, in this that concluded all the same thing that Oswald acted alone. Blah blah blah. So I mean, yeah. like it had to like go through the processes and then die down, right? Before he right. could like just pick it up and be like, okay, let's actually look at this. So three days after Shaw's arrest, the Italian left-wing newspaper Passe Sera published an article alleging that Shaw was linked to the CIA through his involvement in the Centro Mondiale Commerciale, a subsidiary of Permadex in which Shaw was a board member. According to Passe Sera, the CMC had been a front organization developed by the CIA for transferring funds to Italy for illegal political espionage activities. Passe Sera also reported that the CMC had attempted to dispose, uh, depose French President Charles de Gaulle, Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle, <laughs> de Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle, uh, in de Gaulle. early 1960s. The newspaper printed other allegations about individuals it said were connected to Permadex, including Louis Bloomfield, who it described as an American agent who now plays the role of a businessman from Canada who established secrets, secret ties in Rome with deputies of the Christian Democrats and neo-fascist parties. The allegations were reprinted in various newspapers associated with the communist parties in Italy, France, and Soviet Union, as well as leftist newspapers in Canada and Greece, prior to reaching the American press eight weeks later. American journalist Max Holland said that Passe Sierra's allegations con connecting Shaw to the CIA were what led Garrison to implicate the CIA in a conspiracy to assassinate Kennedy. That is a lot of information to take in. In and one paragraph. My, yeah, and my reading <laughs> comprehension only gets so high sometimes. Um, in, so I, I just want to make sure like, I got this right. Yep. In, in, in layman's terms, basically, there was a, like, a, like a, a side CIA uh, agency, the Passe Sarah, who was also involved with some like of uh, uh, trying to get rid of a French president, as no. well as no, <laughs> no. So See, the, pa already... the Passe Sarah was a newspaper <laughs> that reported yes. on um, this person. What was the guy's name? I already fucking forgot it. Um, Shaw? No, not Shaw. No. It was Max Holland. Nope, that, okay. was, that was the American journalist. Where'd he go? Louis Bloomfield. <laughs> there it is. Um, so it was talking about okay. Louis Bloomfield, who was technically an agent. They were saying that he's a CIA agent posing as a businessman. I see. Okay. okay. He then so, he got linked to um, the CMC, which is a, a subsidiary of Permindex, and Shaw is a board member of Permindex. So he connected the dots in order to get Shaw, and through Shaw found that those dots connected to the CIA in Italy, and that's how gotcha. he got the. That's how he came to the conclusion the CIA was involved. Okay, fantastic. Thank yes. you. I, I, I'm dude. That I was literally must have read this one paragraph like six times, uh, going <laughs> over it and just being like, I don't know what to take out of this. Yeah. So thank you. There was okay, yeah, cool. there was there was a lot in that one little paragraph. Yeah, yeah a lot right. of connections. So right, on cool. on January 29th, ninth, nineteen sixty nine, Clay Shaw was brought to trial on charges of being part of the conspiracy to assassinate Kennedy, and the jury found him not guilty. Oh, all right. 
So they uh, they let him off yeah. the hook. So DA did not do his job well. Yeah. Or the jury got paid off. Yeah, something, right? Something dirty happened right. there. Now, Jim Garrison alleged that anti-communist and anti-Castro extremists in the CIA plotted the assassination of Kennedy to maintain tension with the Soviet Union and Cuba. Don't forget, Cold War. Mm -hmm. And to prevent a United States withdrawal from Vietnam. It's alleged that the CIA, acting upon orders of the conspirators with the, quote, military-industrial complex, which we will also get to, killed Kennedy and in the process set up Lee Harvey Oswald as a patsy. So you kind of see like a bunch of pieces all coming together right now. Right. Some people believe that Kennedy was killed because he was turning away from the Cold War and pursuing paths of nuclear disarmament, reproachment with Fidel Castro, and withdrawal from the war in Vietnam. Mm. And they can't just let they can't just let him do that because there's so much money wrapped up in the in the military and industrial complex. Correct. So if, they killed him for seeking out peace. If we're not in Vietnam, conflict. if we're not at war with Cuba, and if we're not in the Cold War, a lot of people have nothing to do. Right. And therefore right. don't have jobs. Have yeah. And they can't have that. Correct. Ugh. That's so gross to think about, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> well, in 1977, the FBI released 40,000 files pertaining to the assassination of Kennedy including an April 3rd, 1967 memorandum from Deputy Director Cartha DeLoach to Associate Director Clyde Tolson that was written less than a month after President Johnson learned from J. Edgar Hoover about CAA plots to kill Fidel Castro. According to DeLoach, LBJ aide Marvin Watson stated that the president had told him in an off moment that he was now convinced there was a plot in connection with the assassination of President Kennedy. Watson stated the president felt that the CIA had had something to do with this plot. When questioned in 75 during the church committee hearings, Deloach told Senator Richard Schwelker that he felt that Watson's statement was sheer speculation. <laughs> uh, no, but okay, I get <sighs> Who's listening to Richard? Come on. <laughs> no, right. it was Deloach. Deloach told Richard. Let's yeah. talk about the next part of the, the CIA conspiracy, right? Because there's, there's a mm -hmm. lot. Like I said, there's a lot wrapped up in the CIA aspect of this conspiracy. So right. the next thing such, is – It's so secretive. Yeah. Like there's never any transparency with them. So the next thing is the Oswald impersonator in Mexico City conspiracy. Gaetan Fonzi was hired as a researcher in 1975 by the Church Committee and by the House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations, the, AS, the HSCA, in 1977. At the HSCA, Fonzi focused on the anti-Castro-Cuban exile groups and the links that these groups had with the CIA and the Mafia, which we will get to. Fonzi... A Fonzie would later come. <laughs> uh, Fonzie, that's I know that's cheap. It's a very cheap laugh, but I don't care. It's it's cheap, but the, the entire time I was reading this too, I was just like, you can't, hey. you can't read this just, without yeah. just every time you see Fonzie going, hey, hey, the Fonz. <laughs> All right, um, <laughs> Fonzie obtained testimony from Cuban exile 
Antonio Valencia that Valencia had once witnessed. I'm sorry, Antonio Viciana, not Valencia, Viciana. Uh, that Viciana had once witnessed his CIA contact, who Fonzi would later come to believe was David Alti Phillips, conferring with Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay, so this is happening in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Through his research, Fonzie became convinced that Phillips had played a key role in the assassination of President Kennedy. Fonzie also concluded that as part of the assassination plot, Phillips had actively worked to embellish Oswald's image as a communist sympathizer. He further concluded that the presence of a possible Oswald impersonator in Mexico City during the period that Oswald himself was in Mexico City, City may have been orchestrated by, by Phillips. Now, that's very, very strange. Yeah. I'm sure it gets weirder. Uh, it does. So, <laughs> <laughs> so essentially what they're saying is there was a time where Oswald was in Mexico City, right? Don't forget, mm-hmm. they've, they've been watching Oswald since at least 1959. Right. right, right. Okay. So they knew who their patsy was. They knew where he was, and mm-hmm. so this was this was like laying the groundwork for Oswald okay. to be seen in this uh, – to, to have him in this light. Right. So this evidence first surfaced in testimony given to the HSCA in 1978 and through the investigative work of independent journalist Anthony Summers in 79. Summers spoke with a man named Oscar Contreras – a law student at National University in Mexico City, who said that someone calling himself Lee Harvey Oswald struck up a conversation with him inside a university cafeteria in the fall of 63. So I just, I just want to make sure. So this timeline, he, he, he talked to him in the cafeteria of 63 in the fall. So it had to have been before, what, November? Correct. This is like September, October. Okay. Because the Warren Commission concluded that Oswald had taken a bus trip from Houston to Mexico City and back during the September through October of 63. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Contreras described Oswald as over 30, light-haired, and fairly short, a description that did not fit the real Oswald. To Fonzie, it seemed improbable that the real Oswald would at random start a conversation regarding his difficulties in obtaining a Cuban visa with Contreras, a man who belonged to a pro-Castro student group and had contacts in the Cuban embassy in Mexico City. So Fonzie theorized that there was an Oswald impersonator in Mexico City directed by Phillips during the period that the Warren Commission concluded Oswald himself had visited the city. Fonzie believed Fonzie's belief was strengthened by statements from another witness. On September 22, 1963, and again a week later, a man identifying himself as Oswald visited Cuban embassy in Mexico City. Uh, Counselor Eusebio Azcu, God bless you, told Anthony Summers that the real (laughs) Oswald in no way resembled the Oswald to whom he had spoken to at length. Embassy employee Sylvia Duran also told Summers that the real Oswald she eventually saw on film is not like the man I saw here in Mexico City. On October 1st, the CIA recorded two uh, tapped telephone calls to the Soviet embassy by a man identified as Oswald. 
The CIA transcriber noted that Oswald spoke in broken Russian. The real Oswald was quite fluent in Russian. On October 10th, 63, the CIA issued a teletype to the FBI, the State Department, and the Navy regarding Oswald's visit to Mexico City. The teletype was accompanied by a photo of a man identified as Oswald who, in fact, looked nothing like him. That's so weird. And I, I, know, I know I keep saying, like, he looked nothing like Oswald, but I wonder, like, do you think maybe he could have been the real deal? Like, that guy could have been the real Oswald? Um, thus, maybe, like, strengthening the argument of the Oswalds who shot Kennedy being, uh, you know, being like, hey, I'm just being an impersonator, hence I'm a patsy, you know, maybe. when he got arrested. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, That's I never thought of it that way, actually. Yeah, because that, that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, it, it, it has to be either that or they're just trying to get some sort of uh, timeline on him, I guess. But, like, why would they want a timeline of him in, in, in Mexico City? Um, well, because he, so he's the, been under surveillance. But what I don't understand right. is if he was in Mexico City and he's doing all these things and it's the Cold War and he's contacting Russia – and then they send this out to the FBI, why wouldn't you pick them up? Pick them up? Yep, absolutely. And at any point, they, they didn't realize that they were uh, surveying two two men with, with the same name? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, So yeah. that just feels like uh, negligence on, on the CIA's part. Yeah, that's – yeah. Negligence. I don't know, man. I feel like that uh, – I feel like the, the whole I'm a pathway thing makes a lot more sense when you think about another yeah. Oswald out there. It's interesting. It's, that's actually – I never even thought about that. All right. So let's talk about on November 23rd, 1963, the day after the assassination of President Kennedy, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover's preliminary analysis of the assassination included the following. The CIA advised that on October 1st, 1963, an extremely sensitive source had reported that the individual identifying himself as Lee Harvey Oswald contacted the Soviet embassy in Mexico City, inquiring as to any messages. Special agents of this bureau who have conversed with Oswald in Dallas, Texas, have observed photographs of the individual referred to above and have listened to a recording of his voice. These special agents are of the opinion that the referred to individual was not Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. See, again, that just makes me think that the Oswald in Dallas was an impersonator uh, giving the CIA a run for the money. Or maybe Oswald had somebody else out there using his name to throw uh, the agency off his, tra the, off his trail or something. So uh, which would be, you're right, yeah, it's so weird. See, there's all these little holes, man. Yeah. All these little holes. Well, that same day, Hoover had this conversation with the new president, LBJ. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be LBJ here, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to jump in there. Uh, have you established any more about the Oswald visit to the Soviet embassy in Mexico in September? Oh, no. There's one angle that's very confusing for this reason. We have up here... The tape and the photograph of the man at the Soviet embassy using Oswald's name. That picture and the tape do not correspond to this man's voice, nor to his appearance. In other words, it appears that there was a second person who was at the Soviet embassy. 
Nice. That was good. Right? That's, I pretty would good. Say, That's uh, a spot-on Hoover impersonation. Hey, hey, guys, if anybody's looking for any voiceover work or anything, you know, contact me and JR. We're available. Uh, you know, that's, that's our resume. Our outline resume. <laughs> I'll put that on our reel. Please do. No problem. <laughs> All right. Fonzie concluded it was likely that the CIA would legitimately not be able to produce a single photograph of the real Oswald as part of the documentation of his trip to Mexico City given that Oswald had made five trips uh, sorry given that Oswald had made five separate visits to the Soviet Soviet and Cuban embassies according to the Warren Commission where the CIA maintained surveillance cameras i don't know yeah right it's just so fishy <laughs> and weird and none of it makes sense it's yeah. just why to Oswald? It's, right. it's, it's so, so. Next up, the yes. three tramps coming this fall to Disney Plus. Three tramps. <laughs> Disney Plus. <laughs> they would have three tramps on there. <laughs> it's like it's the it's the third uh, lady in the tramp. Nice. The three tramps. All the right. three tramps. So the three tramps are three men photographed by several Dallas area newspapers under police escort near the Texas School Book Depository shortly after the assassination of President Kennedy. The men were detained and questioned briefly by Dallas police, and they have been the subject of various conspiracy theories, including some that allege the three men to be known CIA agents by the name of E. Howard Hunt, Dan Carswell, and Frank Sturgis. Others are also believed to be linked. I was curious, is this the Grassy Knoll story or no? Uh, do you think, know? I think it has something to do with Part, the Grassy like, Knoll. Like, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's like, partly related to, yes. Yeah. There's, I, I know there's a lot of so much believe. involved in this friggin' – like, I don't even know anymore yeah. what's in this outline. <laughs> That's there's fair. That's so fair. much. It's all, it's all over the place. That's yeah. the thing with the, with the, with the JFK assassination is – the facts are all over the place. Well, and I've also been working on this outline for like almost two weeks. Jeez, dude. So like there's been you so much job. information. Yeah. And and I've been trying to like whittle through it and read it all and then put it in the, the, the thing and and go back through it. And it's just like after a while I'm like, I don't know what conspiracy theory is tied to which. Like I'm I'm practically reading this for the first time again. Right, right. Because, again, they're all over the place. So, yeah. yeah. So let's find out, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with E. Howard Hunt. Several conspiracy theorists have named former CIA agent and Watergate figure E. Howard Hunt as a possible participant in the Kennedy assassination. And some, as noted before, have alleged that Hunt is one of the three tramps. Hunt has taken various magazines actually to court over accusations with regard to the, the assassination of Kennedy. Hmm. And in August 2003, while in failing health, Hunt allegedly confessed to his son of his knowledge of a conspiracy in the JFK assassination. However, Hunt's health improved and he went on to live four <laughs> more years. So shortly before his death in 2007, he authored an autobiography which implicated Lyndon B. Johnson in the assassination, which we will also get into, uh, suggesting that Johnson had orchestrated the killing with the help of CIA agents. There always comes back to the CIA, who had been angered by Kennedy's actions as president. After Hunt's death, his sons, St. John Hunt and David Hunt, stated that their father had recorded several claims 
about himself and others being involved in a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. That's, that's so fishy. Uh, again, well, like, what reason would a dying person have to lie about something so serious like that? Yeah. Unless he was, like, maybe just, like, having, like, a dementia uh, episode or something like that. Possibly. Um, yeah. It, it, like, he even recorded his claims about it. I just think that's it's fucking so- hysterical that he recovered. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty hilarious, honestly. Come, like... Son, 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 come, come closer, closer. <laughs> I was part of the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> oh, actually, I feel much better. Actually, after, <laughs> after having that uh, that tea, I'm feeling a lot better, a lot more. Uh, I, think the, I think the medicine's starting to work. Cut out what I just said there. I didn't. I didn't say that. Never mind, uh, son. You, you misheard me. All right, let's move on to David Morales. Some researchers believe that CIA operative David Morales was involved in the Kennedy assassination as well. Morales' friend, Ruben Carbajal, claimed that in 1973, Morales opened up about his involvement with the Bay of Pigs invasion operation and stated that Kennedy had been responsible for him having to watch all the men he recruited and trained get wiped out. Carbajal claimed that Morales also said, we took care of that SOB, didn't we? Morales is alleged to have uh, once told friends, quote, I was in Dallas when he when we got the son of a bitch, and I was in Los Angeles when we got the little bastard, presumably referring to the assassination of President Kennedy in Dallas and the later assassination of Senator Robert Kennedy in Los Angeles, California on June 5th, 1968. Morales is alleged to have expressed deep anger towards the Kennedys for what he saw as their betrayal during the Bay of Pigs invasion. That's crazy. That's a lot of crazy there. And, uh, yeah, he sounds sounds guilty as hell. There's a lot of crazy all over this. Right. Yeah, this guy is very unhinged, it sounds like. So, uh, I mean, I get get the motive. Right, like if he if he right. watched all these people that he recruited, that means like he knew them personally and had a relationship mm-hmm. with them, and watching all of them die could definitely help like help push you to snap. Right, right, and and I feel like you're getting some sort of revenge on on the guy who yeah. uh, got your guys uh, uh, next. All right, next up, Frank Sturgis. Frankie, yeah, my boy Frank. In an article published in the South Florida Sun Sentinel on December 4th, 1963, James Buchanan, a former reporter for Sun Sentinel, claimed that Frank Sturgis had met Lee Harvey Oswald in Miami, Florida, shortly before Kennedy's assassination. Buchanan claimed that Oswald had tried to infiltrate the International Anti-Communist Brigade. When he was questioned by the FBI about this story, Sturgis claimed that Buchanan had misquoted him regarding his comments about Oswald. According to a memo sent by L. Patrick Gray, acting FBI director, to H.R. Haldman on June 19, 1972, sources in Miami say that he, Sturgis, is now associated with organized crime activities. In his book, Assassination of JFK, published in 1977, Bernard Fensterwald claims that Sturgis was heavily involved with the mafia, particularly the Santo Traficante and Meyer Lansky's activities in Florida. Jesus, man. The rabbit hole goes deep on these guys, Just huh? Just keep digging, dude. 
and that's Seriously. and that's why they say that it's probably it was probably a much wider um net right it's not like the CIA killed Kennedy it's not the mafia killed Kennedy you can see yeah. like there there is interwoven through so many different organizations that's why like technically after like going through all of this the argument could be made that all seven of these accused or implicated or believed conspiracy you know whatever all seven of these parties could have been working together right because right. that's how intertwined all of this conspiracy is yeah exactly and it's it's just crazy to think right like the the president this president was was so beloved by the public he was just loved pretty much by everyone yeah. except for the inside governments and crime yep. mafias and uh, these sort of well, so, he, was, he wasn't letting them get away with it he was anti-war yep he was anti-union yep uh he was anti-cold war mhm he was not yeah. anti-communist right to the point of like you don't have to hate communism as a, you know what I mean as opposed to the rest of the country going down with communists yeah. um, yep. so like all of these things are upsetting a whole bunch of people exactly but so made the a lot people of, lot of are cool with it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah because he wasn't making enemies with the people you know right. he was he was, uh, he was tough on, on other because he was areas. just getting BJ's in the Oval Office not from his wife Right. Anywho. Right. Yeah. Still Clinton's just a copycat. <laughs> John F. Kennedy <laughs> paved the way for intern screwing. He <laughs> <laughs> really uh, rolled the carpet out for that. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about George de Morenschild. I think okay. I pronounced that right. That I looks right. I'm going to call Orange. him George. <laughs> Georgie. After right. returning home from the Soviet Union, Lee Harvey Oswald became friends with Dallas resident and petroleum geologist George. George would later write an extensive memoir in which he discussed his friendship with Oswald. George's wife would later give the House Select Committee on Assassinations, or the HSCA, a photograph that showed Oswald in his Dallas backyard holding two Marxist newspapers and a Carcano rifle with a pistol on his hip. Thirteen years after the JFK assassination in September 1976, the CIA requested that the FBI locate Georgie in response to a letter George had written to his friend, CIA Director George H.W. Bush appealing to Bush to stop the agency from taking action against him. Yeah, he was writing to his good old friend uh, Timberwolf, huh? Yeah. That's, uh, that was uh, his CIA code name, and I believe uh, the Secret Service's code name for him, too. Probably. It's a great fucking code name, though. Timberwolf? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. They all, have, they all have weird names. Like, uh, I believe Obama was renegade. I think... That's fantastic. When Hillary was uh, going for president, I believe she was evergreen. Was she evergreen um, or was she cankles? <laughs> That's just our code name for oh, her. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I forget what the other ones were. But uh, they always have like really interesting like, code names for the Secret oh, Service. That's fantastic. Um, 
Um, so several Warren Commission critics, including Jesse Ventura, have alleged that George was one of Oswald's CIA handlers, but have offered little evidence. I'm just going to come out and say anything that Jesse Ventura comes out with is just bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Oh, man. I don't like I mean, that. you know you know it's true, but come on. Look at that fucking ponytail baldness going Thank on, Thank you dude. for your service. Ah, oh, he's so good. He's I fucking love Jesse Ventura. He's, he's such fucking a, worst. such a tool, dude. He's <laughs> he so is. good. He is. <laughs> you, you're only allowed to love him because it's fun to hate him. Yeah. Yeah. Right, at and least also, we can agree on that. He was in Predator. I mean, how can you hate on the guy? <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> on, okay. on March 29th, 1977, George stated during an interview with author Edward J. Epstein, no relation, that he had been asked by CIA operative J. Walton Moore to meet with Oswald, something George had also told the Warren Commission 13 years earlier. When interviewed, by 19, or when interviewed in 1978 by the HSCA, J. Walton Moore said that while he had periodic contact with George, he had no recollection of any conversation with him concerning Oswald. George told Epstein, no relation, that he would not have contacted Oswald, that he had not been told to do so. George met with Oswald several times from the summer of 62 to April of 63. The same day that George was interviewed by Epstein, no relation, George was informed by his daughter that a representative of the House Select Committee on Assassinations had stopped by and left his calling card and intended to return that evening. George then committed suicide by shooting himself in the head shortly thereafter. George's wife later told Sheriff's Office investigators that her husband had been hospitalized for depression and paranoia in late 1976 and had tried to kill himself four times that year. Okay. So I was gonna say that's a, as a fake suicide because that happens a lot when these uh, when when people tend to know too much here. Um, and, and I was gonna say clearly not if he had tried four times prior. Uh, it was in the hospital, but maybe they were four four botched attempts. Or I'm surprised you didn't come out with this theory right away. Mm -hmm. He gets taken out. They go to his house and they say, "Hi, wife. Here's what you're going to do." You're going to tell the sheriffs that he was depressed and he tried to kill himself four times already this year. We can fudge hospital records. That's a piece of cake. Here's what you're going to right. tell them or or you uh, can join him. Yeah, you're going to kill yourself too. <laughs> That's like it's never been done before? Right. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. All right, everybody. Well, that's how we will wrap up this time on the Mystery in Our History podcast. Be sure to check out our website, fourguysmedia.com, for news updates and a list of all of our other podcasts. Um, we do have a new podcast out. Um, by the time this episode launches, I believe at least one episode will be out. Uh, it's called Someone Else's Shoes, uh, hosted by myself. Uh, each episode, I interview a new person and just take a look at that person's story um, and, you know, whatever the case may be. So our first episode, uh, we're actually interviewing a uh, country music singer, um, good friend of mine, Jessica Lynn, and um, discussing just how there is um, a, a huge misconception of the music industry 
these days and and what it really takes to be um, a touring country music singer. You know, it's it's not as easy as you think. Um, it's not as easy as you think to get a record deal. It's not as easy as you think to to get yourself out there noticed. Um, it's tough. And so sounds interesting. Yeah, um, that's that's the the first episode, and then um, our second episode is um, an interview we sit down with another good friend of mine, uh, Heather, who has been living through this pandemic um, of the COVID era with a autoimmune disease. And so, essentially, uh, she is one of the many individuals out there that um, every time they leave their house, they can just die because of the world we live in. Um, so I discuss with her just kind of everyday life, how, how living in a pandemic is any different. Um, and we talk about, you know, how she deals with her uh, disease. Um, on a day-to-day basis. And um, so the show's just kind of designed to help see, you know, what other people go through um, day-to-day and and help you kind of imagine what it would be like to walk a mile in their shoes. So be sure to check it out. It's on our YouTube page. It's on, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere that, you know, podcasts are sold for free. Um... <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week. So we will see you next time on the Mystery in Our History podcast. And uh, good luck, Godspeed. Bye. See ya.